You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Before we get started with the episode, we have a new sponsor that we would like to tell you about. I'm very excited that they are joining House of L. It's BlueChew.com. That's right, BlueChew.com. And just so you don't have any preconceived notions, BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. If you're one of those guys that needs a little bit of extra confidence when it's time to have fun, you should go to BlueChew.com. Most guys don't want to talk about anything having to do with ED, and trust me, the folks over at BlueChew.com completely understand that. But the sexiest thing is to do something about ED. The sexiest thing is for you and your partner to have an active and fun sex life, and BlueChew.com can help you with that. You want your opportunities to count. Understand that with this, there are no embarrassing doctor's visits There's no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your front door. Even that, it's in a discreet package, so you don't have to worry about anyone getting into your business that doesn't need to be getting into your business. If you don't like swallowing pills, don't worry. They've got the Blue Chew tablets that are chewable. Get it? BlueChew.com. So if you find that you're lagging behind a little bit, you just don't have the same type of confidence that you used to, and you want to get back in the game, BlueChew.com is the way that you can do it. We've got something for you. If you use the promo code HOUSEOFL at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's it. That's BlueChew.com promo code HOUSEOFL to receive your first month for free. If you're in the market, if you need it, if you want to go back to having a good time and not having any of this stuff like on your head, BlueChew.com. And now, let's get down with the episode. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out here with me. Our guest today is outstanding. I love when I get a recommendation from a friend in the industry to talk to someone because my friends in the industry kind of know the type of conversations that I like having and know that it'll be like all encompassing and we can get into the nooks and crannies of some of our stuff that we want to talk about. So Evan Moore, who has been on the podcast, He, one of the co-authors of the book, uh, Game Misconduct, said, you need to talk with Yusef Khan. I was like, oh, okay, from Shadow League? He's like, well, not with the Shadow League now, but he's doing stuff first and pen. So he connected us, and then Yusef and I had a conversation that wasn't recorded. And as we were talking, I'm like, man, I should have you on the podcast. Like, yeah, I want to help out First and Pen, and you should go check it out, firstandpen.com. But this is a really interesting story. And people should hear it. So we were able to set it up, and he, he was available to talk with me. This is a guy with an MBA. 
This is a guy that worked at ESPN for a really long time who understands you'll hear inside this conversation. This is someone who understands the business of broadcasting as well as anybody. He also is running his own thing now. First and Penn has a lot of interesting stories. In some cases, they challenge the status quo. And in a lot of cases, there are stories that aren't told. So if you go on that site, go to firstandpen.com, you will see a different side of sports media than what you've seen. And I like it. So after taking a look at, at what Yusef was doing, I said, man, I got to talk with this guy. Like, we, we got to really break everything down and get into some stuff. And he had some time. And it's great because we, we both work as professors, too. And hearing someone else's viewpoint on teaching, I, I was into it. So I think that you'll enjoy it. You should go and check out firstandpen.com. Do that while you're listening to me and Yusef Khan talk about all sorts of stuff, including his his crazy nicks and everything else that, that we get into in here. This is Yusef Khan talking with me on the House of L podcast. You know, it actually started um, when I was at ESPN back in uh, 99. I was there from 99 to 2004. And in 2002, I had an idea about merging, you know, um, urban culture with sports. There really wasn't an opportunity to do that back then. And a coworker of mine um, and I, we got together and we had this idea to create a show that would bring the two together because we felt there were just, you know, so much synergy between the two. So we worked on it for like a year and a half, finally got it approved. And we launched the ESPN2 block party back in 2003. Um, a lot of people didn't know that was me, but it was myself and my coworker, Teresa Moore, at the time. We were actually the first ones to put a barbershop on national cable television um, back in 2003 up in Harlem, my, uh, my barbershop up there. And we had people like Fat Joe, we had Brian McKnight, we had basketball, we had baseball, etc. So the idea for First and Penn actually started back in 2002. And I just felt like there was a way we could have these discussions without them having to be so gossipy or just people screaming at each other. And, you know, I'm not dissing anybody. There's always a place for that. But I was like, we can have some other dialogues. We can inform people. We can inspire people by doing things a different way. So when I finally had the opportunity and I said, let me take the plunge. And we launched First in Penn last January 2021. What's it like to go out and explore into a space where no one's really explored before. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, I had worked in a couple different places that had partial, partially had this focus. And, you know, at times it's difficult because everyone's like, you know, I'm going to go to the big sites. I'm going to listen to local radio or I just need the scores and I want to be in and out. I don't want to follow anything. And I get it. You know, that that's understandable. That's the way this new sports fan is. But I felt like, Everyone is going that direction. So why should I go that direction and just have this big pool of people that's cluttered? So I felt like there was a way we could get everyone, you know, through a different angle, through some different discussions, some different stories. And I tell you, I've been fortunate to meet some great people like yourself who, you know, want to hear the story, what we're doing and, you know, helping us along the way. So I've been very fortunate to have some good people behind us. What type of challenge are we talking about to, to convince people that this is a space where people are going to want to consume this type of content? You know, I've been in startups for almost 20 years of my career. And the hardest thing is to get in the door. You know, you get that door slammed in your face nine times out of 10. But all it takes is one, that one door to open and you can be successful. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of uh, networking too. You know, it, it, I've been fortunate that like this person knows this person who can maybe help me get this story. You know, for example, 
We uh, we published a story last week from Evan, Evan Moore, right in Chicago. Yeah, his story and about hunting, right? Yeah, about black hunt black hunters. And he told me a lot of people weren't interested. And I was like, give me that. I'll take it because it just shows a different angle. You know, this is not a story people would normally talk about. And it blew up. People were really interested. Some people were like, we're not doing big game hunting. But I kept telling them that's not what this story is about. This is about a tradition that has been handed down from generation to generation where you are hunting to provide for your family, where you are learning how to shoot, but in a proper form. You are licensed, you practice, et cetera. So those are the type of stories I love. You know, you can go anywhere and find out, you know, uh, what was the score of the Super Bowl? You know, how many yards did Cooper Cup have? Like, you can go anywhere to find that. But to me, I would rather go to a site that tells me about Odell and his, his sort of redemption you know, even though he got hurt, his redemption going from the Giants to the Browns and he finally got his ring. You know, those are stories I feel are more impactful and that, you know, not the the general media is carrying that. We will carry that. Doesn't this also kind of give a better snapshot of. I mean, I, I don't mean to, like, pump you up too much, but it's it's the mosaic of black life overall where yeah. we are not a monolith. So our sports coverage probably shouldn't be a monolith either. Exactly. Exactly. And that was the whole point is that, you know, look, we, yes, we know we, we dominate football and basketball. We know that there's nothing new about that. We dominate track and field in the Olympics. Yes, we know that. But did you know, there are three Jamaican bobsledding teams in the winter Olympics. Did you know that Haiti put their first athlete in uh, giant slalom and men skiing this year. You know, not a lot of people know those things. So allow us to tell that story. I will gladly tell those stories if other people don't want to. I'm all here for it. And you know what? I think people take to it because they won't find it anywhere else. They're really excited about it. So I will gladly take those stories and find them any way I can. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Evan. And that story that, that he wrote I thought it was really interesting because I recently had a conversation with my parents about my grandfather and my grandfather used to hunt. Like he's from Mississippi. He used to hunt and you're right about the tradition. He passed down his shotguns to my uncle and, Mm -hmm. and I've yet to have a conversation with my uncle about this, but I plan on it now because of Evan's piece. Yeah. And that, you know, that's another another example of, like you said, we are not a monolith. Right. We do more than just football and basketball. We do more than just go to the club and do all that different stuff that are stereotypical. We do much more than that, you know, and we need to explore and celebrate those stories and those individuals that are doing things. And Evan's story, you know, in terms of tradition, I I mean, how do you how do you not discuss the fact that if we were go to another pandemic, for example, right here, we have a whole community that not only hunts to feed their family and doesn't rely on, you know, shopping centers and all that. But guess what? They own the property that they are hunting on, too. Like that blew me away when I heard about Latroy's La- La- Hawkins saying he bought farmland so he could hunt and raise game and wildlife and crops. And, all, and I'm like, wow. That's really smart. You are prepared in case of anything. So you're not dependent. Those are things that we need to know about and spread that message to others as well. When it comes to mainstream sports, stuff that, that we do have uh, an abundance of coverage on, how do you think we could do it better? You know, I, I think it's, it's a matter of not trying to do what everyone else is doing. So, for example, in the digital space, it's the rush to post the story. It's the rush to post the score, right? Okay, that's great. Everyone's doing it. But after that, what else are you saying about it? You know, what else is the storyline in it? And I think sometimes we can take a pause and say, wait, before I hit send, let me look at what's really going on. Before I am forced to, you know, shove ads down everyone's throat on a site because I need to generate revenue and all this stuff. Let me slow down and say, what do my audience, what does my audience really want? They don't want to see ads floating all over the page. 
right? That's one of the reasons why I'm developing this very slowly. You know, I'm funding it out of my own pocket because I know what that competitive digital marketplace looks like. I don't need to play in that. I've done that for a long time. I want to build over here where it has longevity. It has credibility. That's a big thing. We need credibility. We can be professional. And so that's what the lane that I chose to be in. And I think if, if people take a moment just to pause, they could see some really interesting storylines outside of the Knicks blew a 28 point lead last night. <laughs> and it, and it, hurt, it hurt my soul, Lord. Hurt me again. I, I tell you, and you see it came right out, right? It just came right out. You, you was like oh. reaching for an example. He's like, yeah, this Knicks one is right here. Oh. Let me talk about that. Let me tell you, I'm a born and raised New York City kid. I have loved my Knicks and I have tried to separate myself from them because they've broken my heart so many times. But being a New Yorker, you cannot get rid of them. No matter what you do, it is in your blood. And I said last night, I told my son, they're going to blow this game. They're going to blow it. I know it. He's like, no, no, no. I said, trust me, they're going to blow it. How do you blow a 28 point lead and then blow what? A 17 point lead in the fourth quarter. So, you know, to me, that will be the story that I write about, about how New York Knicks break your heart, but you can't part with them. You cannot find that divorce away from them, you know, versus the Knicks blew a 28 point lead and they stink and this and that and that, you know, that's not the story. And and even people were talking about how Durant went at the Knicks last night, right after the game, how we called the Madison Square Garden Barkley Center. That's not a story to me. Right. That's just some fun fodder. I'm looking at. What is the real thing going on in Madison Square Garden? It is the fact that there's no leader. We don't have an identity. We have not had one since Oakley, Mason, and Ewing roamed the paint. That's just the bottom line. And since your boys in Chicago kept killing us every year, taking us out in the, in the, the Eastern Conference Finals, still hurt my soul. But that's the storyline. Have you, have you checked out uh, Chris Herring's book, Blood in the Garden? Let me tell you, I ordered it. I was excited. I, I'm going to read it as soon as it comes. That is the heyday. But I go back before that. I know. I'm a 70s baby. I'm a 70s baby. So I was there when we had starting lineups of Rory Sparrow, Ken the Animal, Bannister, Marvin <laughs> Webster, Louis Orr. Like, that's my frustration, Lawrence. That's my frustration. Okay, well, let's you know? stay there for a second. Like, how do you think that shaped you? Like, like not just as someone who is an entrepreneurial in in, in this journalism space, but as a fan, how do you think it shaped you? You know, I tell you, um, first of all, I calmed down a lot from when I was back then, because back then I was breaking furniture, breaking plates, because these Knicks were driving me insane, you know, just on the, the way they were losing or the way they were blowing things or whatever. But it shaped me because I was passionate about my teams. I was passionate about my Knicks, you know, we wanted, we wanted to win, you know, and that shaped me in everything I wanted to do. I don't like losing, you know, I'm not a sore loser, but I don't like losing. I don't believe that, you know, people should, should try to box me out of a space just because they have a lot more money. You know, I've paid my dues in this industry. It's a lot of things I know that a lot of people don't know outside of the industry. So I can, I can make that happen, but I have the passion because of the way I was raised in sports. I've been an athlete my whole life um, and I actually teach as well. So I teach sports management courses and it's the same thing I tell them. You can be a fan, but when many of you come in this classroom door, now you got to flip the switch into a business person. How do you run a business, right? Through the passion of your fandom. So that's what I, I use that. You know, I, I don't like to lose. I like to get the great stories. I like to work hard and to give people something different than what they're used to. I teach as well. I teach uh, at DePaul University, my alma mater. And I love, I love and hate when the light goes on and the students understand a little bit how the sausage is made. Yeah. Because there's an innocence that then leaves them. And yeah. they're like, oh, I didn't know that I was being manipulated or, you know what I mean? And and seeing them do that, like they lose that kind of innocence that they walk into the classroom with. What's what's that like for you to to kind of make sure that you tell the students the, the whole truth about what the industry can be and is? You know, I'll tell you, um, 
it is it's amazing to see how wide their eyes get and how you know how far their jaw drops when you break down some real things we had a discussion about the denver broncos being up for sale and how robert f smith who is the richest you know african-american um or um byron allen allen byron allen right so the two of them are the leading black suitors for the broncos the only challenge is that robert smith has that type of money right now he could write a check if he wanted to you know byron allen's going to need a little help and when i broke it down to them to show you know what this is how much it costs to to buy an nfl team if the broncos go for four billion you got to have 30 percent okay off the bat you cannot get in after you know without that and if you have that the next step is 24 out of 32 Owners have to approve you. That's 75%. Do you think that some of these guys are going to approve some of these black, um, you know, suitors out there? I don't know. And they look at it like, oh, I didn't know it was like that. It's like, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just writing a check. You know, and one of the kids asked me, he's like, well, Floyd Mayweather can do it or Diddy can do it. I was like, no, they can't. No, they can't. They cannot write a check for two billion dollars right. off of that they have money but that is wealth and you have to understand the difference like they can write that check and it wipes them out completely then what you know so i love seeing their faces when they're like oh shoot i get it now it's like yeah sports media is not what you think it is it is not being a fan it is being a business person and i love i love breaking it down for them because then it helps them in their careers when they want to get into the field because they understand it a little bit more. What, what kind of pushed you towards wanting to share with students and, and getting into a classroom with them? You know, when I was, um, I think maybe two, three years after I left ESPN, a friend of mine asked me to come speak in one of her classes where she was getting her MBA. And I went in and spoke to them and I just found like, I love the interaction. People were asking me a lot of questions and I was still, what, six years in the industry. So it wasn't like I had that great amount of experience, but I loved the interaction. And right then and there, I said, you know what? I want to go back to school and get my MBA. So I went back. Um, I got it in two years while I was still working. And I was doing some guest speaking here and there. And I got into teaching about two and a half years ago here in New Jersey. And I teach communications and I teach sports management. And I love it. You know, I really enjoy giving them not just the book version of what goes on. We give them the reality of what's really going on and how to make it in the industry, things you have to do. You know, I'm sure you know from teaching, a lot of these kids don't understand proper etiquette. You know, something as basic as that. And I teach them that, listen, you're not professional. You can't come in the door in my office. One of my, my favorite things that I talk about, I have a, I dedicate an entire class to the concept of thank you notes. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what's that? What's that? <laughs> yeah. You write? What is writing? What? Tell you. It's <laughs> like, would you like for your resume to get off the bottom of a pile? Because yep. a thank you note is probably going to set you apart and maybe get your resume to the top of a pile. You know, I, I use uh, a chalkboard. When I'm in class and I'm writing with chalk and whatnot, they're looking at me like, why don't you just put it up on the screen? I was like, no, you need to write these things out. You need to understand how it flows and mentally it keeps your mind active and you're thinking. Whereas if I just put it up on the screen, you're going to look at it and be like, right, and fall asleep. So, yeah, that just like you with those thank you notes. Well, what is that? What? It's like, damn. It's so amazing, man. It's so amazing. I love it. I I've noticed over the last, I would say, I would say probably the last year, and I think that Dion played a big role in this, there's been a more mainstream interest in HBCUs than I can remember. Um, out, outside of, obviously, like the, the Bayou Classic, like stuff like that. Right. Why do you think that happened? You know, I've covered HBCUs for a long time. And one of the problems that HBCUs have always had is that they have been neglected for so long that they're very defensive about their assets. And, and I, I completely get it. So it's very hard when a, a general market company comes in and they say, listen, 
we'll do this, this, and this, and we'll do this. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, they, they don't have that sort of uh, different look like the SEC has and the Big Ten has. They don't understand that. And so it's taken a while for them to get up to that level where they can understand what their value is and make others appreciate it. And I think to your point, Dion came in, one of the greatest players we've ever seen, Hall of Famer, et cetera, and brought his personality and brought his resources and phone book to Jackson State. Calls up Troy Aikman, calls up this one, calls all of a sudden. They're starting to move. They're starting to move. You know, then Eddie George comes in at Tennessee State. Hugh Jackson, Hugh, Hugh Jackson comes into Grambling. Um, all the basketball players that, that are now looking at schools. Chris Paul started the HBCU tournament. You know, so you've got this momentum going because I think they see it as a truly viable institution, not just of sports, but of, of academics as well. And I'm really glad to see them um, having this renewed sense of, of um, attention that they're getting. It's really great to see. And I, I hope they can build on it and build this for quite a while. So it's not just a one-time wave, you know? The, 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 even the concept of having a black HBCU combine to me, mm -hmm. it, I'm like, that's brilliant. And why did we not do this before? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, story, a little inside story. So when I was at college sports television, this is probably like 2006, 2007, um, I actually had a chance to talk with um, James Shaq Harris and Doug Williams. So we filmed Doug for his, I think it was the 20th anniversary of his Super Bowl win. We got an exclusive interview with him at the dinner down in D.C., et cetera. And we were talking about it and they suggested this idea back then. What about a HBCU championship? This is before the Celebration Bowl. OK, and I was like, this is great. And I pitched it to our, our folks. And they're like, eh, we don't, you know, nah, it doesn't really, it's not going to be anything. And they kept pushing this idea, pushing this idea. And finally, ESPN got it with the Celebration Bowl. You know, and I, I think that it, it took a while, but I think it's in a good place. And another thing to note, they're not just doing it in football, right? Morgan State just announced they are bringing back their wrestling program. Bluefield State is announcing a women's wrestling program. Um, Fisk University, we just published a story on First and Penn. They announced they're going to be the, the only HBCU and first HBCU to have a women's gymnastics program starting this fall. So you can see what this renewed attention, it helps build up their finances and it helps them establish new programs in different sports. So now it's just not your traditional football, basketball. They are getting other athletes and other programs involved. Um, I think Tennessee State at one point was looking at possibly doing hockey. How incredible would that be, right? HBCU hockey. It would be so dope yeah. and like so on time and a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm sure that there would be a ton of black hockey players that'd be like, you know what? Now I have a choice. Yep. Like now exactly. I don't have to be the only one. I can go to a place and feel comfortable because obviously and our friend Evan has written about, you know, hockey culture is not always the best for others. Yeah. Yep. And Evan, matter of fact, his alma mater, Hampton, they started their men's lacrosse program. Uh, I think this is about, about five, six years ago. They brought it back. So at the, I think they were the only HBCU program at the time because Morgan, I think, had ended their program in the 90s. So now you've got them in all these different, uh, you know, quote unquote, Olympic sports outside of football and basketball. And I think it's great to see. I think it's another revenue stream for HBCU programs because gymnastics costs money. You know, uh, hockey costs money. All these things cost money and they're able to get it. They're going to be on scholarship. You know, don't forget about Howard and golf. You know, Curry stepped up there to help them establish a golf program for both men and women. So I think they just needed a little tension. And I think now that they've got it, I think they can run with it. Um, and I'm excited to see it. I, I love seeing things start at the bottom and then build their way up. You know, it's kind of like my journey, too. You know, I love doing that. I think that's more gratifying than just coming into a established entity and doing what they do normally. What's the joy that you get when you write? You know, it's funny, um, Lawrence, I came up in sales and marketing. I'm not even a traditional journalist by trade. I have always loved writing. 
I've always respected writers. Um, I love to read. You know, I've always created, though, and I, I've been very unique and fortunate in my career that I've been able to kind of work multiple areas of business. So I've been in sales. I've brought in money. I've done my job there, but I'm able to fund uh, content programs. Right. So I'll work with the content team to create things and then, boom, I'll bring in the money behind it. That's how business had to work, because if it doesn't, you're not going to have a great site to write for, even though you might have the dopest content ever. There's no money coming in the door. The site will shut down. You know, if there's no dope content, guess what? The sales won't come in. And I think this is the problem with our industry that we silo everybody and put up walls. Sales can't talk to, you know, content. Content can't talk to sales. And it drives me insane. I'm like, why would I not want to speak to content as a salesperson? Why would content not want to know what people are buying? Then we can create things. You know, and that's why I said um, when I was in a position to do it, and fortunately, I've been able to do it in a few different places that I'm going to merge it to because it's so dumb. It, it's, it's just ridiculous to me that one doesn't know what the other is doing. So we're working in the silo and we have these middle people kind of, you know, integrating the two and talking. I'm like, why? I'll just go talk directly to you and we'll all figure out what really works. So to answer your question, you know, I. I just love finding these unique stories. And when I find them, you know, the, the joy of being able to, I think, put your passion, right? This goes back to the passion that fans have for sports. You put your passion into something and you really write a piece or you really call a great game or have a great interview. You can feel it inside. You know it right away. And, um, you know, I've been really I've been excited about about things like that. I wrote a piece on um, Mike McDaniel when he was signed by the Dolphins, you know, and how they created this whole racial identity issue. And I put my all into it. And I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, we can't force him to acknowledge he's Black. But one day, he might be forced to do it. And sure enough, on the podium, someone asked him the question. And you could just see he was so uncomfortable. you know. But that piece did really well because identity uh, politics is a really interesting subject. And I did some good research, spoke to some really smart people about it and got some great insights. So very proud about the, the work that I, I've been doing. Back to the conversation with Yousef in just a minute. Bluechew.com. They are now one of the sponsors here at House of L and we appreciate them. And they want you to know that if you're having some issues with your confidence when you're in the bedroom and you want to get a little bit of help, but you don't, you don't want to have the awkward conversation you don't want to have the really weird interaction they can help you bluechew.com is the way that they can help you understand that with bluechew you're getting something unique you're getting an online service that delivers the same active ingredients as viagra and cialis but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost bluechew's tablets help men combat all forms of ed and as I said, no weird doctor's visits, no awkward conversations. And what's great is they ship it right to your front door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's all done online. So you can be as public or as private as you wanna be about what's going on with you if you don't like swallowing pills no problem blue chews tablets are chewable that's the point get it and for house of l listeners try blue chew free when you use our promo code house of l at checkout just pay five dollars shipping that's bluechew.com promo code house of l to receive your first month for free be down with the people that are down with us and blue chew is down with us bluechew.com we thank them for joining House of L. And now we'll get back to me and Yousef talking about all sorts of stuff. With the the, the way that, we, like you said, we get siloed and there are people that are acting as go-betweens between the money and the content, I do think that it ends up lessening both sides because then people don't understand how the two are are related how, how did we get to that point in your opinion 
You know, I, I look at a company like ESPN. Um, ESPN is very programming driven in the sense of what are our big properties? They are NFL. Okay. I was there when they got the NBA for the first time back in, I think it was 2002. And here's this product. Unfortunately, at the time, the finals were kind of boring, right? It had Detroit, San Antonio, um, the Nets were there as well. So the, the finals weren't that great, but it was still <laughs> the NBA, you know, but they were like, okay, the NBA, you can only do this. You cannot create this. You cannot, the NBA says you can only do this. So sales is like, oh, well, can we do that? Nope, can only do this. So guess what? That restricts the creativity. And if ESPN is doing it, the worldwide leader, then other companies see their success. So they're going to replicate it. And then the others are going to replicate it. So then you have what we have now where digital media, the, the business behind it is the same. We got to drive traffic to a digital site. We got to flood people with ads. We got to create these, you know, attention grabbing, clickbait type headlines, and we'll generate revenue. I don't care if it's a, a bad piece. I don't care if it's a hundred words or five words. We just got to drive traffic. And it's just a cycle. It keeps repeating itself. I think personally, if, if more sites are like what I'm trying to do, we will be in a much better position to be more informative and be more creative as well and work, work better with departments as opposed to content on this side, sales on this side, don't even look at each other. That's stupid. You need to talk to each other to find out what is selling? What do people want from our advertisers? What do people want to read? What is being read about? That's the only thing that's going to work. Since you spend so much time at ESPN, what do you think ESPN gets right? And what do you think they could do better? I think one of the best things that I, I had the fortune of being a part of was their training. Um, they taught us the business, Okay. I was in sales planning. I came up in the television group. We had a, this is crazy. We had a quiz, a test every month when it came to planning, right? This is grown folks taking tests, but it showed us how media math plays into the business of television. And from there, I learned how television works, how sports television work, how you make money, how you price things. You know, I think they do that extremely well. I think another thing is they are very forward thinking. They used to be very reactive, but I think they've become so proactive, meaning they saw the SEC rights were coming up and they were like, you know what? We can take it from CBS. So they end up snatching it in 2024. They're going to bring on the SEC. Guess who followed them? Texas and Oklahoma, two of the biggest programs around. What does that mean for them? Now they can raise their affiliate fees so they make more money, right? They saw that. Right now, CBS and Turner own March Madness, men's March Madness. But guess what? Now the NCAA is trying to merge March Madness to be used for both men's and women's tournaments, which means that I think it's 2032, the men's tournament is coming up for a renewal. You don't think they're going to be at the bidding table for that, Right. So I think they've become very forward thinking and realizing we need to focus on live sports and the biggest live sports. Women's sports have been, 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 gotten, been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, let's expand our relationship with the WNBA. Let's expand our relationship. Maybe we look at women's hockey. You know, we're putting them in prime time. They're seeing that now and they're beginning to invest in it. So I think their ability to not only be forward thinking, but have the money ready to go to invest in those properties that are going to help them grow. I think they do a great job about that. Where could they get better? Um, I think they could, could get better. Um, obviously, you know, people want to talk about diversity. I think they're doing better. You know, to be honest, when I was there, 9904, I was the only brother in the entire planning department, the only one for five years. Okay. They were, I think there were two or three sisters and then with me too, but I was the only brother and we're talking about a department of about 25 people, you know? So I think the diversity um, and the ability to look at doing things differently, I think that was something that, that affected them early on. They were so focused on, we got to stick to tradition, tradition, tradition. And I think now they realize, you know what, maybe we have to open up our doors a little bit 
Um, and I think they've done that in some sense. I know they've moved away from like the political commentary, but I think they have opened up their, um, their flexibility. For example, first take, right? Stephen A is now pairing with um, Mad Dog Russo. Name? Mad Dog, right? I caught a clip of it. I didn't understand a word they said. They were screaming back and forth. I mean, Mad Dog is already like that. You know, being in New York, you hear. I know. I didn't understand a word they were saying to each other. But guess what? Guess what was the highest rated show that week? Right? So I think they've understood we need to open up things a little bit more. And I give them credit for being a little bit more open when it comes to those type of situations. Can I go back real quick since I could use your expertise on this? Because I think it's I think it's fascinating. You're right. You're talking about the SEC moving off of of CBS. And now we're hearing that they're bidding and NBC is bidding for the Big Ten. I wasn't sure if they were going to find their way back to it. But when you start looking at what the what moves people television wise, what is bulletproof from a DVR standpoint, it's live sports. sports. So, So how do you see this whole thing playing out with the Big Ten now maybe finding new television partners and CBS saying we desperately want to stay in the college football game? I think NBC is in a perfect position. I give them a lot of respect. They just came off of basically two Olympic years back to back, right? Because COVID pushed one back. They have Notre Dame football locked up for at least a few more years. And Notre Dame football sells itself. Like you don't, you don't need anything to sell Notre Dame football. It has that much of a passionate, loyal fan base. But they needed something else. Sunday night football, they will retain. But what else do they have? They shuttered down um, NBC Sports Network and moved their other sports to USA Network, which is a smart move, I think. It, it's, a, it's a good move. The Big Ten to them, I think it's a brilliant move. And I think in some ways it's better than SEC, even though it's going to be more costly because of what it brings for them. It gives them key markets. People forget with Rutgers, now you have the New York, New Jersey market for the Big Ten. You have Detroit. You know, you have the Great Lakes area. You have Chicago. These are major markets, which in some ways makes it more powerful than the SEC. Now, they're talking about it's going to be a $1 billion a year type deal. That's pretty expensive. But you know what? If that if you are able to get it, it helps you because one, you can put it on broadcast on NBC and and make money that way. Two, you can move some of the games to USA Network. And guess what? On the affiliate fees size, you can jack up USA's affiliate fees. Now they're making more money. Three, Peacock is there. They are growing. I, I forgot it. They might be in the 20 million range uh, in terms of, of active users right now. All of a sudden, all those Big Ten fans start buying into Peacock. Now you've got three different media entities you know, that can broadcast these games um, nationally, locally, on on demand, however you want to do it. It's a brilliant decision. I think if if I were NBC, I would go all in on it because CBS needs something too. But NBC, imagine Big Ten and Notre Dame together. That's major for a network to be able to go to market and say, guess what? We have one of the best conferences and we have the best independent. Top that. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And real talk, they could probably sandwich Notre Dame with games. Right, yep. you you could do eleven a.m. kick, Notre Dame game, primetime Big Ten game. Like that's yep. in, in the space where everyone's trying to get eyes on the television. That's a good way to do it. But but think about it like this: so you're even if you kept Notre Dame on NBC, the broadcast channel, you know Saturdays at noon, no problem. USA now on the weekends. What do we run? All we run right now is Law and Order SVU repeats. Right. Now I can run three games. I can run uh, four o'clock. I can run a prime time. Oh, and guess what? Maybe I'll run the occasional Thursday night game to go up against ESPN, right? ESPN basically put college football on Thursday nights. They forced that action for some of the conferences because they wanted to air their games. So imagine USA on a Thursday night, they could put one on. You know, that that's an interesting um, opportunity or they could stream it, you know, on Peacock. So it, it's I, I think it's a brilliant opportunity for NBC. I think it makes a ton of sense for them. I know, obviously, they'd be sharing stuff with Fox still. And I know Fox owns the Big Ten Network as well. But I think from a business standpoint, you know, Notre Dame, Big Ten. And imagine if one year Notre Dame's like, you know what? I think we're going to join the Big Ten. Boom. You don't have to go far. We got you. So it makes sense. It seems like Jim Delaney had a real vision. You were talking about, like, thinking ahead. And yeah. at the time when the Big Ten was expanding, you're like, what do they need Maryland for? Like, what, what do they need Rutgers for? And now, you know, seven, eight years later, you go, well, now they've got the D.C. market. Now they've got the New York market along with the big market teams that you got, you know, Philly and, and Pittsburgh with Penn state people, you've got Detroit with the university of Michigan and Michigan state. You've got Chicago with Northwestern and Illinois. It it's amazing that there was some real foresight into kind of where we were going in, right. in some of these places. Yeah. And you know, um, so Jim Delaney, when he launched the big 10 network, you know, he had Fox as a partner to help them, mostly on the production and equipment side. And it worked so well because they parlayed that into the Big Ten rights eventually, you know, on Fox. The other thing that that he did is he realized that, you know what, in order for the Big Ten fans to take part in this, we have to get the schools involved and we have to make sure that they have studio facilities on each campus so they can bring their fandom and their alumni involved by producing, you know, Illinois content, Michigan content, Minnesota content on their campuses. So now they have this built-in marketing system that's an ecosystem in the Big Ten markets. So all the, the, the schools have their own studios. So now you've got a national appeal and you've got a local appeal. I mean, that's how you win, you know, and he saw it from, from what, 2007, I think. Um, that's that's brilliant, you know, and so I think Kevin Warren, you know, what, what he's doing with the Big Ten now, we'll see if they can, you know, grow or, or who they actually go with as a media partner. But I think NBC makes so much sense. When it comes to streaming, from the time that you entered the business to where we are now, how significant has the landscape changed because of streaming? So I was at ESPN when we launched Enhanced TV. I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember I do. Enhanced I, TV? I totally remember that. Okay. So I was there when we launched, we, we launched Enhanced TV and the first and 10 line, right? We were one of the first ones to do it in college football. And I remember the first experience I had with it. Um, General Motors was my client. And they were going to do like this first and 10 line brought to you by Chevy in a game. I think it was a Big Ten game. Might have been Michigan State. And we were all set. We're watching it at home. And they said, the first and 10 line is brought to you by Dodge. And the Chevy logo was up there. And I sat at home oh. crying. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, we're going to get murdered. 
that is how far back I go when something as simple as a yellow line couldn't even been put on TV right. Fast forward now, you know, 17, 18 years, we did not expect streaming to be that big. I mean, ESPN went through their phone. Remember they had an ESPN phone. All these things failed. But the streaming part, I think, is interesting because it coincided with bigger companies taking the lead. So you had Amazon, you had OTT services, you had, um, you know, all the other Fire Stick, all these other opportunities coming in that helped them sort of open up the doors where they could say, okay, they did it. Now we can go in a little easier and we can test the waters. Oh, by the way, we've got Disney. So now we can bundle it. Right. So now they just announced they went up, I think it was four million subscribers in the fourth quarter. They're now up over 20 million subscribers for ESPN Plus. That is impressive. Right. Considering that with a bundle, it's what, $13.99 for a bundle with ESPN Plus, Hulu and Disney and ESPN Plus by itself, I think is $6.99. That's amazing to go from 17 million to 20 million in one quarter, you know. Oh, and they've got UFC. They signed that deal away from Fox too. So now you've got UFC pay-per-view. So now you've got another pay-per-view arm. So that's more revenue. You know, so I think streaming will continue to grow. Um, I know their cable subscription or households are going down. I think now they're at 80 million. When I was there, they were almost 95 million homes. Now it's 80. So you can see that a lot of it is shifting to streaming. And if you look at, for example, the Super Bowl that just passed, NBC said, look, we just did, what was it, 112 million uh, viewers, I believe the number was. But what they did was they reported a total number, which included NBC, Telmundo, and Peacock, because they want one total number. That is the way we are going to be going forward. It's no longer what did the TV entity do by itself. It's what's total reach. And that I will say ESPN started doing probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, um, that they started the idea of total reach. How many people am I reading across all, reaching across all my platforms? And that's what you're going to have to do now. Let me go back to first and pen. Sure. I don't want to completely like you to, to open up your notebook and tell me something, but I do also. I, I, I want to know what's a story that you've been dying to write and you haven't been able to yet. My dream story, I'll tell you my dream story, and it broke my heart that I couldn't do it, was Steve McNair. I've been fortunate to meet and interview some folks, um, even though people didn't know it was me. I was actually doing the interviewing or setting it up. He was one individual I had always wanted to write a story on. And when he died, when he was murdered, I, I was devastated because I just knew he was going to be the, the story that I really, really wanted to write because I followed him at Alcorn. I saw what he did. I thought he was a Heisman winner that year. He should have won for what he did. That was, the I think, the, um, the story I most wanted to tell. The one that I have been itching to tell is Herschel Walker. I so have so been, all of it. So all of the Herschel Walker story. I, no, no, I'm not. I, I love. All right, so, let me preface that. Let me preface that, Lord. When you, 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 and I grew up in the same time, we're in the same time, right? When Herschel was at Georgia, you remember he had the Superman song on CBS. Yes, he was the man back then. Everybody loved Herschel, even when he went to the New Jersey Generals. People loved Herschel, right? His NFL career was okay, but he was like a god at Georgia. And I've been watching him over the last couple of years. And normally I don't like to, you know, bash people, especially I don't like to, to bash other brothers. But I tell you, people like him are very, very dangerous. And I said, you know what? I want to tell this story in a way that is not insulting. It is to get people to open their eyes about what he is doing, what he is saying, how he is saying it what he has done in his past, right? All these allegations about domestic abuse and whatever, but the way that he is talking now, I don't even think sometimes he knows what he's saying. And I've been researching this and you know, seeing what the Republicans are saying, blah, blah, blah. And I've been itching to get at this story. So I'm, I'm biding my time to do it the right way. 
Um, so that, that to me is one that I've been itching, itching to tell. If you and I talk two years from now, what do you hope first and pen is done in that time? I think one, we've grown significantly. You know, I want to see, basically I'm a, I'm a staff of one right now. I want me to have grown to at least three to five employees. First of all, second of all, I want to have a podcast um, streaming type of, of um, arm to the company, right? Someplace where people like yourselves, you know, you can have a destination where people can talk and hear you out on everything Chicago, for example. You know, if it's time to talk bears, boom, you click on on Sunday morning and guess what? You can talk all about the bears. You can talk all about the bears on Monday, right? We have these local voices of color in these markets that are, we are able to connect now. So even if I'm a bears fan in New York and I'm, I can't watch you locally, guess what? I can watch you streaming wise and I can hear your thoughts and I stay connected. I'm informed that way. I want to build a network so that we are informing our communities across the country through our, um, our words. And the other thing is I want to bring some other sports to light that people maybe don't know much about. I'm a huge fan of bodybuilding and bodybuilding has a very significant black history to it. I was fortunate to have produced a documentary on the 2018 Mr. Olympia, Sean Roden, who was a good friend of mine. He just passed away suddenly um, a month ago, blew, blew my mind. We were working on some things and he passed away suddenly. When I got involved with bodybuilding, I found out all these, this rich, you know, culture and stories that were involved black bodybuilders, both men and women. And I've always wanted to tell that story in which I'm working on. So those are the things that I, I would be most proud of. If I could bring some different athletes and their stories to light to a point where people are saying, you want to learn about, you know, lacrosse and black people, what are they doing? You need to check out First and Penn. That would make me very, very happy. As I let you go here, we both have students. We both know a lot of young people who want to get in the business. I think that we're living in a time where there are opportunities for folks to kind of jump out on their own and, mm -hmm. and, and put together a real resume of, of content. What's your advice for these people if they do decide that they want to be independent? and they want to keep that independence and grow something, how would you suggest that they go about getting started? You know, I think the biggest, biggest problem or biggest obstacle that they face is that they think they can just launch the content and everybody will come see it, right? Or everybody will come engage with it or interact with it. And they don't understand the business. You know, again, Separating fandom from business is, is a very hard task, especially when you're young. And I would hope that these young people say, you know what, by all means, get your creative juices flowing. Be, believe in yourself and launch something, but launch it with the understanding of how business works, how to talk to people, how to pitch for money, how to create things that people really want. Because you know what, you might have a great idea. But if you don't know how to pitch it, if you don't know how to promote yourself, then you might not have the opportunity to get in the door, right? We talked about resumes. If you don't know how to write a correct resume, it goes down here, right? And I think that's the same thing for, for people who are starting their own, especially young people. My advice is learn the business, talk to people in the business, you know, understand what are the components. There is not just media. There is production, there's radio, there's broadcast, there's streaming. There's so many avenues. And I think sometimes people get enamored with just the idea of sports. I want to be in sports. I want to be in sports. And they don't understand there are multiple jobs, just like any corporation in every field in sports. What is it that you are good at? You know, and that goes with learning the business and finding out. Maybe you're a numbers person. You want to stick with finance versus being on the front lines in sales. That's an important thing. Do you want to be on camera? Do you want to be behind the, the desk? You know, you have to figure it out. But the only way you're going to do that is by talking to some people who are in the industry who can give you some insight.
Man, this was great. I'm so glad that, that Evan connected us, and I'm really, really proud of the content that you're doing and the the whole idea of, of what First and Pen could turn into. And, look, the other stuff that you've done in the past has been inspiring as well, and I'm, I'm glad that you have this opportunity and this platform, and I, I hope that it continues to grow. Thank you, Lawrence, man. I appreciate it. And, and like I said, I had been following you for a couple of years, so I'm glad Evan was finally able to connect us. And I'm excited about what we're doing. And I'm happy that people like yourselves can, you know, give us a little light and we can talk to people like yourselves to, to help us out. And again, anything I can do to help, you know, I'm here. Share the love, spread the wealth. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. I will uh, be in touch for sure. Definitely, Lawrence. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'll talk to you next time, man. Definitely, man. Take care, Lawrence. That is Yusef Khan. And, man, what an education we got in that episode. Like, how great was that to to learn about all sorts of stuff, the, the entrepreneurial arm of journalism, and to learn about all of the different things that are happening with rights. Like I was saying to him, you know, I teach. You know that I teach. and. I always throw out to my students, I give them what the top-rated shows on television are, the Nielsen ratings of it. And it blows their mind how many of them are live sports. And for those of you who don't, uh, don't know, like television networks now, along with their streaming, this is – along with their streaming, they care about can they get eyes to a particular show. We live in a space where on-demand is significant, but the idea of live eyes and advertising for the live eyes is a big deal. Sports is still bulletproof when it comes to that. That's why NBC spent as much money as they did on the Olympics. That's why everyone wants a piece of the NFL. They want to be able to offer to advertisers. We have people that aren't going to leave your product. They're going to be watching. They're not going to be flipping. They're going to be engaged. And when you start looking at the top 100 rated television shows of 2021, a majority of them were live sports. And a majority of the live sports were the NFL. That's why they can chop that pie up in eight ways between the networks and the streaming services. There's a lot of money that's being generated. So it was great to have Yusef like kind of explain how this is working on the college football level with the Big Ten and, and NBC. But I also... Love the content that they're doing over at First and Pen. And it's interesting to see it be so broad in scope. To see that they want to try and tell stories that hit you in different ways. And really do make a point of, well, we aren't just going to put the NFL story up top and then place the HBCU story down at the bottom. And I love that there's a variety. Like, as, as a, a reader, you can just kind of jump in and say, that's what I want to get into. Boom, here it is. So I appreciate him being available, and I thought it was a, a phenomenal conversation. I hope that, that you enjoyed it. I did. Thanks for hanging out with us. It's much appreciated. We will have... Another episode of Sports Adjacent later on this week. And we'll have another great guest for you. Thanks a lot for your support of this podcast. It means uh, a lot to me. I will talk to you next time. Peace.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.